This is your coffee break. Let's talk about books and writing and things and stuff. Is that going to be the show title? Books and writing and things and stuff. Yes. Yes. Hi, Matt Paulson. Welcome to today's episode of Coffee Break slash Right Now. Thanks for having me back on the show. You're welcome, my friend. Uh, For those of you who are maybe new to this podcast, Matt Paulson is a, oh my gosh, four-time, nope, five-time entrepreneur. Sure. That sounds about right. See, I'm just, we're at the point now where Sarah just makes up stuff. No. Uh, Matt Paulson, he's an entrepreneur. He has done lots of cool things. He is going to reveal a secret tonight, I think. Yes. (laughs) You know, Uh, no pressure. He is a writer. He is a good friend. He is a cool person. I give you Matt Paulson. Hello. Is this the part where I talk about myself? Yeah. Uh, Okay. So I run a digital publishing company called Market Beat. Uh, we effectively provide a customized version of the Wall Street Journal for every investor. You know, you own a bunch of stocks, and usually the newspaper doesn't contain any useful information about any of them. So our product is basically a newsletter that has basically all the financial news that you'd want to hear, but only about the stocks that you actually own, nothing else. So it's just a very easy way for investors to keep track of their stocks and other investments, and uh, it's uh, turned into a nice little business for us. We have about 380,000 people that get our email every day. That's and awesome. we send out about 15 million emails a month. SendGood keeps asking us for more money because we keep sending out more emails. But, uh, <laughs> that's a good problem to have. I run a couple other businesses as well. A company called US Golf TV is a publishing company in the golf industry. We do courses to make like people better golfers. And also a company called GoGo Photo Contest that helps animal shelters raise money through online photo contest fundraisers. And I've also written a couple of books. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't be on this show. Um, <laughs> the first book was called 40 Rules for Internet Business Success. Uh, basically, the principles and strategies that I've used to build my internet businesses. And then the second book was called Email Marketing Demystified for people that want to use email marketing in their business. And I'm happy to announce there's going to be a third book. What a surprise. Tell I me know. more. Um, so about a, a month ago now, you had Dean Barker, who is a good friend of ours, on the show. And uh, he was talking about the writing experience of his book. And in the time that he was writing his one book, I got two books out. So I'm pretty proud, proud of that fact. Um, <laughs> it's but, like a competition. You know, the way that he talked about the writing process, it, it kind of gave me the writing itch again. So I thought, you know, hey, I, I should do a book this year. But the problem is we're having a baby in May. So it's like, uh, I don't know how those two things are going to work together. So I figured, you know, hey, if I'm going to write a book, I should probably do it before the baby's born or have the, the draft to the editor before the baby's born. So I started writing a book. Basically that day, I think it was, it was January 27th, <laughs> uh, I think we were recording this 32, 33 days later, and just yesterday I finished the first draft, so I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. It's about 50,000 words. Holy um, cow. I've neglected a lot of other things to make that happen, but it's, it's, it's done, and I'm pretty proud of that. That's crazy. Tell me, okay, 50,000 words, that's that's standard book size. That's, that's a novel. That's kind of what you go for. Mm-hmm. How did you do that in 30 days? couple things. One, I write every day. Two, I make myself write at least a thousand words a day. And three, it's the first thing I do every day. So I'm not allowed to work on anything else until I've got my thousand words written. Tell me and more about that. Is that like a... It's kind of the, um, you know, Brian Tracy's eat that frog principle. If you do your big, hairy, scary thing first in the day, then the rest of the day is a lot easier. So I've kind of put my business on businesses on autopilot to let this happen. Basically, every morning I get up, I prop my laptop up on my treadmill, and I write until you know I, I, my brain's fried. And then you know I take a break for a while, then do the rest of my work, and that's 
that's worked out pretty well for me for my last couple of books. You know, when, when you really only have one goal, like for this, you know, a month, it, it's it's pretty easy to do that because it's like as long as I get this one thing done, you know, I'm okay letting a lot of other things slide. My gosh. So, like, what else slides during this time? Do you um, eat food? No. Um, <laughs> so, typically, I mean, typically, what happens is my business business is going maintenance mode. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, I do all the stuff that I have to do to run my businesses, like on a day to day basis. But I don't, you know, work on my businesses. I don't do anything new or big new initiatives or any big major software projects or anything that would take up a bunch of time. It's just finding the emails that come in and uh, taking care of stuff that breaks, which it happens and. You know, setting up ad deals and that kind of stuff, you know, maybe takes an hour, hour and a half a day. So I can do my business and maintenance mode on that and then focus on other projects for a period if I want to. And that's kind of what I've done in the last 32, 33 days. That is really awesome. And I kind of want to ask you where that focus comes from. How do you prioritize this stuff? I mean, I feel like, you know, when I have that much to do, I'm just running around like a crazy person. How do you find the focus that you need? Probably a couple things that enable me to have focus that other people probably can't you know one I don't have a day job so I'm not stuck anywhere for eight hours a day I can kind of make my own schedule and make what works for me and my family more than um, you know most people can and two so I don't want to say that I have ADHD but I suspect I do (laughs) and people that have ADHD we wander around from thing to thing to thing to thing but for a while you can really focus on one thing and I think I have that personality trait where I can, you know, I wander around a lot, but, you know, when it comes time to just buckle down on something for 90 minutes or two hours, I, I can do that. And I guess that's just part of my personality. That is awesome. That is very, very fortunate. I also want to go back to something that you said. You write while you're on a treadmill? Absolutely. That is totally the way to do it. Okay. Tell me all about this. So I have a tre- treadmill, <laughs> number one. <laughs> Then I, I prop my laptop up on my treadmill. I walk about two miles an hour, and then I write while my treadmill's popped up. I just kind of put my fingers in the air, and it, it works better than you might think. The angle is just right where you can kind of rest your hands on the laptop and give yourself a little bit of support and also type. And as long as you don't walk too fast, you can still kind of use a laptop just as you would if you were standing at a counter, and it works. That's awesome. What like made you start doing that? Or, or did you have a standing desk for a time, or how did that happen? No, I've I've been actually been doing this for six, seven years now. Um, I used to have an elliptical, and then I decided I want a treadmill instead and uh, transferred the concept over. But I just get too bored walking on a treadmill or running on a treadmill without doing anything else. So if I prop my laptop over my treadmill, you know, walk, you know, two hours can pass before I realize that I've walked, you know, three, four, five miles on it. So you get your exercise in for the day. You feel good about yourself. You get your steps in. Fitbit, you know, tells you, hey, good job. You got your steps in. And you also got a bunch of work done. So it's just a really nice way to multitask, you know, without like losing a ton of productivity. Because, you, you know, usually when people say they're multitasking, like they're really just wasting a bunch of time by switching back and forth. But like, you know, the muscles that, you know, make you walk are kind of on autopilot while you do this. And, you know, basically your your entire focus can be dedicated to whatever you're doing on your laptop. I love that. Do you, do you notice a difference in the quality of your writing? Or maybe since you've been doing this for six or seven years, it's kind of hard to benchmark that, but... I don't know. I think it's probably about the same. I, I, I think I, I have maybe a unique, unique ability among writers or maybe everyone else has that and I just don't know that. But basically, I, I know when I've hit a wall and I'm smart enough to quit when I hit a wall. So it's like if it's been 15 minutes and I haven't written you know, more than three sentences, it's like, okay, I know it's time to put this down for a while and do something else. So then do you go back to it like later that day to make sure you get your thousand words in? Yes, I do. Sometimes like 
you know, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a crazy person. So sometimes like I'll write at night to get ahead for the next day. Then I'll get maybe 500 of my words already written before I go to bed for the next day. And I feel pretty good about that. And that kind of picks up the slack on days when it's like, bleh. Yeah. Wednesdays are always a pretty crazy day for me. So I just, the productivity isn't there because I've got crap going all day. But, you know, if I write Tuesday night and Wednesday night, it still makes up to be a thousand words for quote Wednesday, unquote. That's awesome. So you wrote a new book in 32, 33 days. Tell me all about it. Yeah, we've been talking for 10 minutes and I haven't even told you the title of the book yet. What's the title of your book? So the title <laughs> of the book is going to be The 10-Year Turnaround. And the concept, it's, it's, all, it's all about wealth building and personal finance and investing and uh, just achieving financial freedom. So there are there's a lot of good personal finance books out there that teach people how to do a budget and how to invest and how to buy a house, how to buy insurance. But typically, they only like teach you to manage the money that you already have. You know, you can be the most fantastic budgeter in the world, but it doesn't really do you a lot of good if you, uh, you know, are making $30,000 a year and have three or four kids. It just, <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere. So my book is kind of written in light of that reality. So it's more about how can you become a person that's capable of building wealth? You know, how do you become a lifelong learner? How do you make opportunities to show up at your doorstep? How do you make more money? You know, how do you, how do you get a raise? How do you start a business? How do you start a side business? How do you negotiate your salary? You know, all of the ways that people can actually increase their income. I write about those. So there's some classic personal finance, Dave Ramsey kind of stuff in there, but it's more, you know, I, I focus on both sides of the equation. It's the income growth side of the equation, and it's also the expense and management side of the equation. So I've, I've really tried to kind of take a complete look at, you know, how people should manage money. And, you know, I've been pretty successful. I'm 30 years old. Um, I have a seven-figure annual income. And not many people do that. So I, I figured I probably have the credibility to, to write about the subject more than a lot of people. A lot of people ask me, you know, how do you have as much success as you've had by, you know, age 30, which, you know, I'm still 30. I thought the best way to do that would be to write a book about it. So this is really the strategies that I've used over the last 10 years to become financially independent. So when I was freshman in college, that would have been 2004, 12 years ago now, I had no money to my name. I worked at McDonald's. I made $7 an hour. I had student loan debt. I had credit card debt. Ten years later, I've got awesome businesses. I'm debt free. Our house is paid for. My wife stays at home. Lots of good stuff has happened. So I'm trying to bottle up those principles and kind of tactics I've used over the last decade ish and put them into a book. That is awesome, and I can't wait to read it. I want like ten copies. Ten copies, okay. I'll read them all simultaneously. That won't do anything. No, that no, no. I would like to see you try though. <clears throat> It would be the most colossal. I want to word this very carefully because I don't want to say your book would be the waste of time, but like reading 10 copies of it lined up would be not a great use of anyone's. But you would you would remember everything in the book because you read it 10 times. This is very true. I've, I've heard multiple people like that are wealthier than I am say that, you know, in, instead of reading, you know, 50 books in a year, read like five really good books 10 times. Tell me more about that. I've never heard that. Um, I don't know. I've just heard people smarter than I am say that. But I guess when you read something more than once, you get a better comprehension of it. Yeah. You just scan through something once, you'll probably forget about it. But if you read it a few times, you know, you'll know you ingrain it more in your memory. I've done that with a few business books that I've really wanted to hammer into my head. You know, I'll read the same book every year just to get it fresh in my memory or listen to the audio book over and over and over again. What's one of those valuable books for you? Um, so my favorite business book is it's called Business Brilliant. 
and it's what are the characteristics of a person who's really good at business. So, you know, there are people that are naturally athletic and talented that are naturally good at sports. And it turns out there are people like that um, in the business world, too. And then it just talks about those characteristics and, you know, what makes somebody more successful than somebody else. And I really like that book. I'm making so I have this book list of <laughs> books that are recommended to me through interviewing people on this podcast. And I'm going to add that one. How many of them have you actually read? Um, zero. <laughs> I'm going to call you out on that right now. <laughs> well, okay. So I have this to-read pile, and it's been building for years because I went through several years where I merely, like, hoarded the idea of books, and I, like, listed them on this list, and I was like, these are, these are mine. This is my little dragon horde of books. And uh, I was so burned out from college that I didn't read them, and so now I'm, like, slowly working my way through this massive slush pile of books. At least you have something to do during retirement. Oh, my gosh. And hey, maybe maybe if I read your book in a timely fashion, that retirement will come a lot more quickly than, you know, my, my poor dad who's, like, going to be 70 and is still working. So I don't know if I actually want to retire. I just want to be, be able to retire. Yeah. I mean, there, there's honestly, I, I like working. Yeah, I know. No. Yeah. If I had to sit at home all day and play with my kid, God bless him. I would probably go nuts. Yeah. I need to like see people. I need to like be out and about. I need to have purpose. Yes. That's really... So I want to talk about purpose, actually. Okay. A lot of people write or, you know, do what they do creatively to fulfill a purpose, creative itch. You know, you said you had kind of the book writing itch a little bit earlier. Do you feel like writing is ingrained in your purpose at all? Tell me a little bit about that. I think writing is ingrained in my purpose in the sense that it provides me an opportunity to help people that want to be better in business and in life. You know, I've, I've done things like I've taught Financial Peace University before. You know, whenever somebody says, hey, can I grab coffee with you? I'm trying to start a business. I need some help. And I, I try to say, okay, as, as much as I can. So I, I guess I'm, I'm naturally wired to want to help other people, even sometimes maybe to my detriment and how much, how much time I give away and sometimes telling people stuff that um, helping competitors out when I shouldn't, stuff like that. Um, <laughs> So, yes, it is. I think really what happened that caused me to want to write a book this year is when I was doing my goals for this year, you know, I thought, you know, hey, do I want to write about another book or not? Do I want to put that in my list of goals? And I never want to see myself as somebody that has a challenge and, and chooses not to take it on. Um, you are making funny faces at me. I am just like... I, I just need to turn, I, turn, turn, turn you off. Turn, just, <laughs> am I throwing you off? Can you no, see me? It's, it's okay. fine. Yeah. No. I'm just like in, in just, I, I know what this is like. I'm the same way and I drive myself into the ground because I love challenges and I love new things. So not to interrupt you, but I just yeah, interrupted no, you. No, I would look at my goals at the end of the year and be disappointed in myself. I know I would. I would be disappointed in myself if I chose not to take on that challenge. So I thought, okay, it's going to be a month worth of lots of writing, a lot of work and you know, whatever it takes, it's going to get done. And then I'll be very glad that I did it afterwards and not be mad at myself in December that I, I didn't take up that challenge. I love that you had a book goal of getting a book done in 2016 and you got it done and it's February. So yes, it is still February. It is still February. So hooray for leap year. Yes, it is leap day as we are recording this. It, it, it is. So, so this we can is... do another one of these in four years and have leap day number two podcast. Oh my gosh. Put it on a calendar. Leap day with Matt Paulson. Oh my gosh. We'll just do our own little spinoff series where once every four years. <laughs> yeah, you'll have an RSS feed and then once every four years a new episode shows up on it. It'll be very popular. Trust me. Yes. 
for all of the Leap Day aficionados out there. Oh, there's so many of them. So, so, so that one time we recorded a podcast and didn't get off topic once ever. Did we do that? No. Well, we got a, we got off topic a lot in our last one. We should just start this whole thing over again. <laughs> it's like 20 <laughs> minutes in. <laughs> yes. So you're publishing your third book. What is your absolute favorite part of this process? Now that I'm sure you are familiar with it, you kind of know the ins and outs of it. What do you love? And then what do you hate? So I love seeing when the book cover is done, because that's kind of when it starts to become real. Um, and then it's like, oh, I'm going to get a physical copy of that in like 60 or 90 days. So that's a that's a pretty good sign. I like it when it's done, obviously. I like it when people read the book and tell me they get, get helpful out of it. The toughest part is probably writing. The second hardest part is probably dealing with the editor. I mean, I have an awesome editor, but like going through Google Docs and approving all of the changes she makes takes freaking forever. I hate that part. <laughs> it's kind of like you're pregnant. You're, you're doing a bunch of hard work up front to have a reward like nine months from now. So it's really no fun until the, you know, the book comes out and people start reading it, enjoying it. So now it's kind of the crappy part and it'll slowly get better as the book gets closer to launch and it becomes more of a, a real thing. Yeah. So, so for you, you know, you said nine months, but I think for you, is it closer to like two months, three months for the whole process? No. Um, so it'll probably come out in like July, I think, because okay. editing, editing takes two months usually um, with the editor I have and the process she has. She does a great job. Her name's Alyssa Doucette and her website is craftyourcontent.com. She's awesome. Yeah. So what, what she does is she does two rounds of like proofreading edits first and then she kind of does a language edit to clean up the language. And then she does another proofreading edit at the end to make sure the grammar and spelling is all right. And she did an awesome job with my my second book. And I'm hopefully her team will do another good job with my third book. So it's it's going. You know what? I, I really don't. Well, so tip, you know, the way you sell books is you go on people's podcasts and talk about your book. And that's a lot of freaking work to do. Those. <laughs> Especially because like... You, People will say they'll have you on their show, but you don't really know how much of an audience they have. And like, there's some guy that has like, you know, a business podcast and it's like, he's done maybe 10 episodes and you suspect nobody listens to it, but you don't really know. So you give him an hour of your time and you do a podcast and then you end up not selling any books when it goes live. So, you know, it's, it was a waste of your time and I've, yeah. I've done too many of those. You know what? Well, I'm going to like put myself out a bit. Not that I have a business doing this because I make like zero money. Um, Hey, you like have a, a date- Patreon account. I do. I do have a page. I do have a Patreon so account. So don't say you make zero money. Hey, how do you? How do you? How, if somebody wanted to support your Patreon, how how would they do that? Um, if somebody wanted to support my Patreon and the work that I do here at the Right Now Podcast and the Coffee Break Spinoff Podcast, they could go to Patreon.com and look for the Right Now Podcast with Sarah Werner. They could also navigate to my website, SarahWerner.com, and look for the Help Support This Podcast link in every every you- one of my show notes. Do you talk about your Patreon in every show that you do? No. That's why that's why you only get thirty-one dollars an episode. <laughs> I know, but like part of me feels like kind of like a little bit of a tool when I'm like Just hey, freaking do it. Be hey, a tool. Be a tool. I'm gonna write I'm gonna write that down. Be yes, a that that is your advice for the evening. Tool. <laughs> Actually, okay, so I have this sheet of paper next to me and on it it says writer equals entrepreneur question mark, right above where it says be a tool. And I think that can be my next question for you. You you would have to say that all writers are entrepreneurs, but not all entrepreneurs are writers. Can can we say that? Is that something yeah. we can say? Yes. I think somebody who is a writer and produces something, whether that's books or whatever else, I mean, it's inherently an entrepreneurial project. I mean, even if you are working with a publisher, 
I guess you could not be an entrepreneur and be a writer if someone was just paying you hourly to write a book, and that never happens. So I think writing a book or something, anything like that is inherently an entrepreneurial product because you're putting in all of the work, you're taking all of the risk, and you have no idea how much money you will or probably won't make off of it. So yeah, I think all writers are entrepreneurs, whether they realize it or not. I know that there, there's kind of a split when you're talking with writers, like they either see themselves like you do. And, and this is largely the folks who write nonfiction that, you know, oh, yes, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I create books, I create content. And then you have kind of the other side of folks who are maybe a little bit more like me who are like, I am creating art for art's sake. And what is business and what is profit? Would you encourage screw all those people? Screw those. Okay, screw no. those people. No. Would you encourage them to like, what, what kind of business acumen would you suggest that they sort of take on? Well, if you hope to make a living off your books, and most people don't, but kind of wish they would, you really do have to think more of in an entrepreneurial mindset. And okay, who are my customers? Who is going to read my book? And then two, how can I create a compelling message that will cause them to either buy my book on Amazon, pick it up at a bookstore, you know, and actually want to give me $10 for the book of which I may actually only keep three if I'm lucky. So, I mean, you got to sell a lot of books. So if you want to sell a lot of books, you have to have a cover that's appealing, a catchy title, a good subtitle that draws people in and some really awesome copy on the back of the book. So when they pick it up or look at it, they actually, you know, decide to take it home with them. And it's like there's more... It's more of a science to that than um, some people might think. I guess you look at like what Tim Ferriss did in his first book. The 4-Hour Workweek wasn't like the first title he came on. He made a bunch of fake book covers and put them in a store and see what people picked up. And really? Then he, yeah, and then he did like a Google AdWords campaign and tried out the different titles of his book to see which one people clicked on more. So it's probably one of the best-selling business books of the last you know two decades. And there's a lot went into it that people don't even realize. Wow. So, I mean, what if you had an had a campaign, had like an online search campaign for your book and you tried out like six different titles and then you saw which one people clicked on the most and maybe that would give you insight as to, you know, what title you should use. It's kind of falling down the rabbit hole of marketing. It's, you know, you could A-B test things forever. But you, you only have one chance to get your book title right. So it's, you kind of want to, maybe, maybe we should put more work into our book titles than we do. Yeah. Like no pressure. I, I did a Facebook poll for my book title. Did you? Yes, and the one that people voted on is the one I hated the most. Really? So the one that people voted for would be 10 million in 10 years because that's how much I've made over the last decade. And then like how to, you know, a personal finance guide for future wealthy people. I freaking hate that title because I don't want to be the guy that says, hey, look at me, look how much money I made. So I I decided against using that title, even though popular opinion said I probably should. Interesting. So I've chosen a more subdued and hopefully intriguing title and we'll see if it works or not probably won't but i don't care if i sell a bunch of books because <laughs> <laughs> what you care about is at the end of the day helping people i do care about helping people and it's also very good for your personal brand to be an author and have books to hand out and say hey look at me i wrote this book tell me more it's about a, that like kind of like a like a business card yeah um you know people have said that books are a business card and i, I think they are I don't think I would have gotten my U.S. Golf TV deal the way it happened unless I had written my first book um, because, you know, I had a book out about entrepreneurship and a lot of people in Sioux Falls knew that. And that connection with uh, my business partners, Todd and Tyler, I'm pretty sure happened because of that book. I don't think it would have happened otherwise. So because I kind of had that name recognition because I had written that book and I was writing a lot and doing stuff and sharing um, stuff on Facebook because I kind of built up that brand for myself, that that connection opportunity happened. And other stuff, maybe not to that scale where I've 
joints where he's been but other opportunities have certainly come up that wouldn't have because of that. It works definitely on the nonfiction business side. Is it possible that that works on the fiction side too? Like, hey, I wrote this, I wrote a novel, or I wrote... I suppose if you're like J.K. Rowling or Stephen Mm. King, but probably not, no. Interesting. I mean, it's if you want to be the expert about something, you write a book about it, right? Yeah. So I guess you could be an expert on your characters, but unless anybody cares about the characters in your novel, then it doesn't really do you any good unless you wrote Harry Potter and everybody wants to know more about Harry Potter. So it's if you're J.K. Rowling, that works out really well. But, you know, for most people, you know, it's it's not going to work out for fiction so well. Thinking of writers as entrepreneurs, is there a different outlook for people who do write kind of nonfiction business books than there are for people who write fiction? Yeah, I think it's I think different types of people write them. I think more left brain people like myself write nonfiction books and we think more in terms of numbers and business and more creative people, right brain people probably write more more fiction books and this is more of an artistic project. I want to create characters that come to life and have an awesome story and you know it's not, I don't really care about that stuff. Some people <laughs> do. I want to provide good information in an easy to consume format and that's kind of the goal of the book. But for other people it's more about you know, crafting compelling narrative. Okay, so when you're looking at publishing, there's a, a conversation to be had about, okay, books aren't going away. And there's been a resurgence in kind of interest in bookstores and ebook sales have plateaued. Did, did any of that enter into the conversation? Did you have to make a choice kind of between how you wanted to publish your book or what format would be the most beneficial? Yeah, I haven't really been paying attention to sales trends in the last two, three years. I know physical books are, I mean, if Amazon opens up a physical bookstore, what does that tell you about where books are going? (laughs) So physical books are here to stay. It's just some people prefer different formats. Some people, I love to have my iPad out, have the black screen, white text on it, my Kindle app. That's how I read. And that's the only way I will ever read in the future. um, Some people like audiobooks. I do that sometimes. Some people like to have physical paper in their hands. Some people like paperbacks. Some people like hardcover. So all of my books, I've just decided, okay. I want to make this available in any format that anybody wants to read it. So what I do is um, I do a paperback book through Amazon CreateSpace. I do a Kindle ebook, and then I do an audiobook on Audible. So I kind of have all my bases covered, and that's that's worked out really well for me. Interestingly enough, like all the money I've made has come from the audiobook because you, really? you actually get good royalties on those versus the digital and uh, the print. That yeah, blows so, my mind. So I make like $1,000 a month for my books and probably like 700 of it comes from the audiobooks. Oh my gosh. So do, yes. do you record your own audiobooks yourself or do no, you like... No, 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 no. I would never do that. No? Do, do you uh, get to choose the... Yeah. I hired a guy. I paid him 500 bucks to narrate it for me. Like just, just a guy like off the street? No, it was a guy that uh, a mutual friend mm-hmm. who had also written a book. I said, hey, do you know anybody? And he said, hey, you should talk to this guy. And I was like, okay. My narrator, his name is Stu Gray. He's, I think he lives in Nashville, but somebody I knew knew him and said, hey, you should talk to Stu. And I listened to one of his audiobooks and said, yeah, that guy sounds good. So I, I emailed him and said, hey, can I hire you? And he said, sure. And now he's, he's lined up to my third book as well. He did the first two and he's a good narrator. That's awesome. I don't know why I get so excited about audiobooks, but I do. Because I don't know, you can make you can make decent money with them. There aren't as many of them. The royalties are better. And like, if you if somebody goes to Audible and like my book is the first one that they get, they assume that like I the person went to Audible just because of my book, and then I get like a twenty five dollar like bounty just for that person signing up and buying my audiobook as their first book. Nice. 
So that's some pretty easy money if somebody, you know, you don't even try to get those. Sometimes it's like you just get them. So like every month, four or five people will like do that and I'll get, you know, a hundred bucks and we've gotten otherwise from Audible, which is pretty sweet. My gosh, that's awesome. Kind of on the publishing side of things as well. So you self-published your first two books in this one as well. Is that correct? Yes. Tell me a little bit more about what that decision was like and, and how you ended up choosing that route. So I went that way by default on their first book because I didn't think I'd get a publisher to say yes to me um, for the first book and I didn't really care. And then by the time the second book came around, it's like, oh, I kind of already have the process down. I don't really want to change the process. So I'm just going to do what I did before. And then I more recently thought, you know, hey, if I actually had a publisher, they wouldn't promote the book for me. They would take a bigger royalty cut and they wouldn't really give me anything I don't already have other than maybe having my book in Barnes and Noble, which I don't really care about. So it's, you know, I just, I don't need a publisher. I've got, I've got all the people I need and they're all lined up. And I feel like if I had a publisher, I'd have to wait. There'd be a lot of back and forth and I'd have to wait to get stuff. And it's just, I don't like to wait. So I, I, (laughs) you know, and I don't really feel like I want to go out and seek a publisher's approval to write a book. Like, I don't want to send them a chapter, a sample chapter and say, well, we kind of like it, but blah, 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 you suck. Um, we're not going to accept it. It's like, I don't freaking want to do that. I just want to write my book. I want to have the message that as I intend it, and I want to make it available to people. So I think, you know, self-publishing has, has been the right track for me. I mean, granted, if some big publisher said, hey, we want to publish one of your books, I'd say, yes, I'll take your money, but I, I don't want to go out and seek that approval. I just, I don't, I don't need it. And I don't care. I don't want it. I like that. I know for me, um, there's validation that comes with that. And it's validation that, you know, you can get a little bit desperate for. And that's probably not healthy, you know, like, yeah. oh, please publish my book, make me worthy, make me but I, I like that you have that already. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like I don't need that validation. Because the reality is I run a successful business. So it's like, what more validation do I need? I don't need yeah. a publisher who has crappier margins than I do to tell me that I'm worthy of being part of their business. You've self-published two and a half, three, almost three times. Is that the route that you would kind of encourage most first-time writers to take? Well, it takes some money to do self-publishing right. I probably spent maybe between five and eight thousand dollars getting each of my books out. You know, I can break it down. Editing costs fifteen hundred dollars. Audiobook narration costs five hundred dollars. Audiobook editing costs twenty-five hundred dollars. Um, so there's forty-five hundred dollars there. The cover costs some money. Depends how you do it, but probably 500 at a minimum, 2000 on the high end. And the expenses add up pretty quick unless you've got the finances to back that up. You either have to kind of do it the cheap way, which is okay, but you know, it takes a lot of your time and might not be as good as it would be otherwise. Or you have to have the money to hire a professional. And you know, if, if you've got a lot of time, you could probably do it all yourself because there's software that makes a lot of that stuff easy. But I think if you want to do it like the best it could be, you probably want to hire somebody who does it every day. So, Matt Paulson, with your third book coming out in July 2016-ish. Ish. No, no commitments. No commitments-ish. Summer 2016. Summer's, summer 2016, this summer. What are your hopes for it? I hope some people read it and get value out of it. There's not really any more to it than that. Um, whenever I have a new book come out, I always order three, 400 copies and just give them out to people I know. You know, I don't really care if I make money off of it. So really, it's kind of a way to boost my credibility locally among the entrepreneurial community. That's probably one thing, too. hope lots of people download it and read it and enjoy it and leave me nice Amazon reviews. <laughs> it's more a labor of love and just kind of a way to give back and to help people. So if people leave me good Amazon reviews, then I know that I probably help some people. And if I hear from people on email and say, hey, thanks for the book, 
or if they ask me questions, then I know that I've helped people and I've kind of done my job. Perfect. Matt Paulson, you are a wonderful podcast guest, and I love talking to you every time you're on my show, which is now twice. I am curious, and I would like my listeners to know, how can they obtain your book or learn more about your book when it comes out? Sure. So if you go to the domain name tenyearturnaround.com, there is a little landing page up about the book, and you can fill in your email address there. And you can get, um, I'm going to send out some sample chapters of my book as it goes through the editing process through my blog and through my email list. Um, so if you go to 10yearturnaround.com, you type in your email, you'll get some updates about the book, some sample chapters, stuff like that. And uh, you'll hear about it when it goes live in June, July, August of this year. Awesome. If you want to learn more about Matt Paulson, please do visit the, is it the 10 year turnaround? No, it's- 10-year turnaround. I should probably register both domains, but right now it's just 10yearturnaround.com. 10yearturnaround.com. I will make sure to link to that in today's show notes, and you can sign up for his mailing list. So Matt, I wish you the absolute best of luck in selling your book, marketing your book. It'll be available on Amazon. And I've heard that there is a system that you can perhaps game. Yes, a couple of Amazon marketing tricks. Um, Amazon is kind of like what Google was 15 years ago. It's really easy to game. So you got to think, you know, what keywords are people going to search for my my book for? Email marketing was obviously, you know, for my last book was the keyword I was going for. So I put it right in my title. I put it like five times in my description. So basically I stuffed that keyword all over the place in my my Amazon listing. And by doing that, you know, I, I usually come up number two or three for that title, depending on how, where you search for it at. And then the other thing is when you're picking out your Amazon categories, Try to pick out stuff that's less competitive. You find you find more niche categories. You basically look at the number one seller in that category. And then you look at the Amazon sales rank and you want something, I don't know what the numbers are, but something not very high. Because um, some categories like the best selling book might only sell like one copy a day or a couple copies a week. So like email marketing demystified is like number one in like direct mail, you know, which is it's kind of direct mail, but not really. Yeah. But I'm number one in that that, that category on Amazon. So a lot of times my book will show up as like a, you know, number one bestselling in that category. And then I'll have that little orange thing under it that says yeah, bestseller. Yeah. yeah. And then more people will click on it because it says it's a bestseller in some really obscure category that nobody ever looks at on Amazon. That's crazy. How did you learn this? Is this just something you figured out along the way? Oh, somebody told me and then I forgot who told me. And now it's just one of those things, you know. Very Actually, cool. I, think, I think the guy that told me was a guy named Tom Morks. He helped out with the marketing for my second book. Has a business called Insurgent Publishing. He's done a few business books, and he had a lot of good advice like that for me. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Good. Good. That's exactly right. what we want. I think we're done here. I think we're done here. Matt Paulson. All right, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> and Matt Paulson and is hanging up on me. <laughs> no. Nope. Thank you for agreeing to be on my show once again. I wish you the absolute best of luck with your third book and all of the books that you will write in the future. I have a feeling it will be a lot. Thanks, Sarah. Same time next Leap Day? Yeah, four years from now, 2020. Right now, podcast is on its like 500th episode. Oh, man. And I'll be like riding a hoverboard while we record. Or you're driving around in your self-driving car. There there you go. All right. My friend, it's good to see you. And we will talk again soon. Yes. Yeah.
Have fun editing this piece of crap. There's <laughs> <laughs> more tangents in this thing than... Than actual content. You know, I'm going to edit it, and it's going to be like six minutes long. Yep. So, eh, you know, like you do. Yep. <laughs>